Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. This is uh, Blog Talk Radio. I'm Craig Settles, your host for today. Uh, this will be a uh, first so far in our little short life here as uh, Gigabit Nation. I don't have a guest today. I am going to be talking about uh, a recent um, project that I completed, which is a national survey of economic development professionals focusing specifically on their feedback about uh, issues and uh, technologies and so forth, you know, how they see broadband impacting economic uh, development. And I've done this survey for a couple of years, uh, starting in, in 2007, actually. And the reason for doing this, um, in large part, was because um, there were lots of assumptions, uh exaggerations, generally a lot of um, expectations for broadband and how it would impact economic development that really didn't seem to be based on uh, logic or, in some cases, you know, real-world experience. And so I decided, that, well, maybe I should take a look at, um, you know, what do the economic development folks have to say? Because typically the, the folks making the biggest uh, claims about how broadband would impact uh, business retention or drawing in new business or drawing in convention business, a lot of that had to do with um, elected officials who found great popularity in being uh, the uh, trumpeters of great uh, things, broadband and, and all these economic improvements. Uh, also, I, being a consultant, I can say with a fair amount of comfort that a lot of my uh, colleagues do tend to push the envelope a little bit, or I should say back in, in 06 and 07, there definitely were a lot of folks who were um, really pushing the rosy side of broadband. Back then it was municipal wireless primarily and how this would have an impact. And so uh, it really became apparent that we needed to go to the people who work uh, in the trenches, who are parts of economic development agencies, economic development aid, uh, departments within local government, and really put some questions to them about what they're seeing uh, broadband accomplish. And so uh, so that's how this whole thing, thing started. I was lucky enough to get uh, support from the uh, International Economic Development Council, IEDC, who has graciously over the years um, allowed me to uh, survey their uh, their members and get a uh, good um, get a good feel for for what's going on via that route, and also um, this year some of the logistics of the survey were facilitated by uh, California State University at Chico, their economic development. Uh, group, research group within the university uh, who I've worked with before and uh, and, and were helpful as far as uh, set up and uh, also getting the word out to economic development professionals and elected officials and so forth. So with that, um, this year we interviewed or we, uh, I should say, sent out um, surveys to probably just around 4,500, 5,000 people there were um, 358 people who responded to the entire survey. Another 81 or so started the survey but did not complete every question. 
So it's a fairly high percentage, which which speaks to the uh, the interest in broadband by uh, those in the economic development uh, arena. And, uh, you know, usual response is 2 or 3% to a survey, and we were pushing pretty much close to 8 or 9. So um, there's definitely a lot, uh, a lot of interest. Um, I will say before I get into the numbers and start taking questions that um, – this isn't a an attempt to create a uh what I would call a traditional research quantitative research uh project where there's uh all kinds of of structures and restrictions and so forth that uh give it a sampling and, and all these other kinds of uh factors this is primarily a a snapshot a portrait of you know what real people in the field have to say about broadband and economic development uh, so that we can draw a little better uh, conclusions about what it is that makes sense. And there's still a need for a lot of detailed work and drawing correlations between, you know, if I build a network, I should expect X and Y and Z economic outcomes to some level of predictability. So let's uh, let's kind of get working in and through this. Uh, this, by the way, the final report will be available from my blog, uh, Fighting the Next Good Fight, and you should be able to download a copy uh, shortly after uh, this uh, broadcast today. So the the starting point is usually to get a feel for uh, what kinds of networks are people using or the areas that they're responsible for, what kind of networks are in place. And um, there has been over the, the last couple of years, when we talk about wireless with economic development folks, um, hovering around a, a quarter of the people that are surveyed will say that they have uh, limited reach networks. And what I mean by that is networks that are in certain downtown areas, retail districts, and so forth. Um, wireless more so than, than fiber. Generally, someone will have decided that for you know a reasonably moderate expense, they can put in uh, wireless networks and uh, be able to uh, draw business uh, foot traffic uh, pedestrians into retail operations. Um, Seattle, for one, has uh, for a number of years has a um, wireless uh, network that the city built in two economically distressed parts of uh, that city. And though the numbers were more qualitative and anecdotal in some respects, there was a general feeling among the businesses, the retail businesses in those areas, that having the network there definitely led to a boost in um, foot traffic, which ultimately leads to a boost in sales. They weren't necessarily able, the retailer were not necessarily able to quantify all of that, but they were able to say, you know, to, to show uh, at least a, a pretty conclusive to them that this network um, made a lot of sense. And I think that uh, as you talk to um, city officials, CIOs, uh, city managers, and so forth, and other communities, that the limited reach network is still a, uh, a useful uh, investment. I think that the expectations should be uh, moderated so that people don't think that this is going to change, you know, in a dramatic sense, uh, the economics 
but it will definitely have uh, an impact in that uh, in that area. Uh, we still have maybe about 12% of respondents who have a city or countywide uh, wireless network. Another element that's been consistent, uh, which I take to mean that these networks have uh, continued, maybe not a lot are being added, uh, but networks that are government use only. Uh, this year, uh, the survey shows 17% of respondents have a uh, government use only network. I think what will be interesting is to see what happens when more people find out about Chattanooga and um, Santa Monica, California, and a couple of other uh, cities that have a government use only wireless network that is an extension of their fiber network. So they basically use the fiber for backhaul and uh, get some fairly impressive speeds over the wireless network. And with that, they will um, connect many, most of their um, mobile workers. A lot of emphasis on public safety and being able to do things such as broadcast videos from the scenes of problems and so forth. And so with uh, results that can be fairly well quantified because they've got a captive audience, if you will, which are their workers, they're able to pinpoint specific dollar savings. And I would expect that um, as more wireless networks come online, that wireless um, government use in particular will, will start to increase and will be interesting to see next year how that all all plays out. There are um, a respectable number of folks that show uh, they have networks that are run by uh, public-private partnerships, and 10% uh, of folks have a network that is run by co-ops. One of the things I found fairly consistent through the survey is that uh, co-ops are, I guess, pretty much a um, small-town rural um, phenomena because there are almost no urban areas that report having formed or using a co-op uh, to provide either wireless or wired uh, services. Um, so that's the uh, the wireless side of things. The In terms of planning new wireless networks, um, these numbers are not as 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 high as I would, uh, being an advocate, would would hope. Uh, but I also understand that a lot of the uncertainty, of which there's a fair amount, um, it stems from the economic uh, condition. I mean, a lot of people have a lot of uh, things on their plate, and so will they take money aside or or apart from everything else to build a network? It is um, it is left to be seen. Um, the, for the most part, those who are definitely planning to build either a wireless or a wired network over, say, the next year, year and a half, are in the teens as far as a, a percentage. Uh, there is a fair number of folks who say that, well, maybe we'll do this, and uh, I would say it runs about 25 26% of respondents are saying, well, you know, we we will probably look at this more uh, seriously as things turn around with the economy. And I guess that's a fair uh, assessment of where things are. And I think there are, um, let's see, what do we have here? About 
40% have no plans currently for for moving these kinds of projects forward. So again, I think that's probably as much as we can expect. Uh, the overwhelming majority of respondents uh, do have some sort of network, wireless network that is uh, solely by a private provider. So I would say that we're looking at about 85% on the wireless side and um, maybe on the wired side. Uh, so this is not to be confused with, you know, are there lots of providers or is there a lot of competition? It's just that 85% um, will say, yes, we have uh, a network that uh, is owned entirely by a private sector company that provides wireless and also a one that provides wired service. Uh later on we'd look at the issue of are you know are are do they consider their environment competitive when it comes to broadband. Um, on the wired side uh we show about uh 19-20% have limited reach networks. Uh over the last 2-3 years this percentage of people that have uh, limited reach fiber networks tend to be less than those who have wireless uh, networks in downtown areas, retail districts, and so forth. And I'm assuming it's a cost uh, a factor. It is interesting to note that 7% of respondents just have dial-up. So even in this day and age, it's it's a um, you know dial-up still exists, and that's all the people uh, that some people have. It turns out that 13% of rural folks have. Uh, dial-up as opposed to, I think it was 5% of <clears throat> the urban uh, folks who represent urban areas. Um, the, the percentages as far as government use networks, same for wireless as it is for wireless. There are uh, higher percentages of uh, networks, fiber networks that are owned by uh, the city and uh, private sector companies together in public-private partnerships. And this year I looked at um, cable uh, separate from uh, fiber just to see if there were any differences. And for the most part, it runs fairly uh, even in terms of how many people have uh, a cable network um, that is a, a community uh, public-private partnership and how many have a, a fiber network. Uh, the plans for building wired or wired networks also runs about similar to the plans for um, building a wireless network. No surprise there. Um, what was interesting, so the next question in the survey went into the question of planning. How many communities have um, broadband technology in some way built into their economic development plan? And it was encouraging that um, close to 40% do indeed have uh, some plan to use uh, either at a strategic level or a very tactical implementation level, uh, use broadband and, and have it tied directly to creating economic uh, outcomes, such as attracting um, new businesses as a way to stimulate growth within or among existing businesses. There are oh, another 8% that are looking to um, 
that are looking to complete economic development plans that will include uh, broadband as a key component of those plans. Uh, about uh, 20% are not including broadband anyway in their economic development plans, and uh, there's about 15% that say, you know, not everyone yet has, is sold on the value of broadband and economic development. And so I guess you could add those to the list of folks who aren't planning or their plans aren't going down that path currently. Uh, when I looked at the uh, results from those who represent just rural areas and those who represent just urban areas, it seems that the planning is heaviest among rural uh, communities. And I would conjecture that uh, the reason that it is greater in rural communities is that they're closer, many of them are closer to the edge of um, becoming ghost towns than those, uh, you know, the larger cities. I mean, larger cities will be able to endure not well necessarily uh, continued economic stress, but with um, people that are moving out of rural uh, and small towns and not coming back, uh, that places where the birth rate is not keeping pace or exceeding the uh, the rate of those who are are dying. Subsequently, there's a lot of pressure on local communities to exist, I mean, just not even a question of being prosperous. And so I think a lot of them have looked to or are looking to broadband as the way to turn their economy around. I think a lot will have to do with um, them using the networks to make their existing small businesses uh, and their existing individual constituents able to run businesses more effectively or start businesses. And the impact, I think there's a there's a uh, also a perception thing that comes into play. Uh, for a small town of 2,000, the ability to create um, a business of two or three employees or expand the business from five employees to ten employees has a significantly greater effect than um, the you know, similar type of activity in larger rural areas. So I think that um, you know as we as we go forward, uh, rural is going to pick up the broadband case, maybe to even a greater extent, and uh, and make this part of the actual plan. It was interesting to look at uh you know how many people in the survey had applied for um the broadband stimulus grants uh, as it turns out about um about forty percent had uh applied and um twenty one percent of uh, the respondents actually were fortunate enough to win a grant I think what is more important is sort of a, an untold story in the numbers is that uh, a lot of the people who applied and were successful were uh, communities that banded together, 10 counties here, 20, 25 cities in another state. And by banding together, they were able to put together a uh, an effective proposal that allowed them to not only win 
stimulus grants, but a good um, percentage, oh, I'd say 11% of respondents were able to get a um, grant or a number of grants from other federal agencies, state agencies, and other sources. Uh, but I think a lot of the driver of that were people uh, banding together and chasing after this money. I think that if you were to look at uh, a large, uh, if you were to look at the 40, 52% of folks who did not apply for stimulus at all, one of their primary reasons were they were an individual town or individual county that did not feel that they would have any kind of advantage going for a grant. And so as a result of that, uh, they they just decided to set this opportunity out. I think that as we move forward, um, you know, as we start talking about moving uh, universal service funds into an account that, that would support broadband networks, I feel that um, forming uh, an association or forming some sort of group effort to go after broadband projects is going to become more and more popular. There's a certain economy of scale. Uh, there's a certain um, advantage in terms of being able to create more effective regional uh, economic development plans that include drawing businesses into uh, into an area and so forth that will come out of this whole effort. So I think that next year when we talk about you know how are people finding uh, the way to get these projects off the ground, I think we will start to see a lot of folks saying, okay, well you know we we got together with some X number of other jurisdictions to go after. Uh, after these uh, these projects. So the survey then shifts from looking at the state of broadband in the areas that the respondents represent to looking at um, what kinds of impacts uh, are generated by the technology. And to do this, I identified five of what I considered the more commonly referenced economic outcomes that communities ex expect to impact with broadband and getting a gauge on people's uh, reaction to those five, uh, looking at um, drawing new businesses into the area, how uh, getting existing businesses to stay uh, that may be threatening to move, um, getting uh, and helping local companies become more profitable and competitive, uh, the f fourth area, which is uh, new actually for this year's survey, uh, using broadband to increase the number of startups and home-based businesses. And then the fifth area, one we introduced last year, which is uh, increasing individuals' ability to earn income. And we wanted to see, number one, you know, which how they rated cable, fiber and wireless technologies as far as their direct impact and indirect impact on uh, these specific economic uh, outcomes some people probably will not be surprised at, uh, at some of these uh, at some of these answers but uh, what we have are let's see if I were to look at wireless first um, the biggest area that people feel wireless 
or I guess I should say the most number of people felt that there would be a direct impact would be wireless impact on startups and home-based businesses. Uh, the norm, I think, for some people seems to be that it's all about drawing businesses into uh, into the community. Um, what thing, one thing that I have noticed in uh, some of my travels and speaking with people in other cities, um, there there is a segment of the stakeholders who believe that maybe too much emphasis is placed on trying to attract businesses to an area and not enough in generating new um new startups uh from within the their own constituents their existing constituents and, uh, and in fact this point was brought up when I was in Kansas City uh, both Kansas and Missouri, uh, talking about the, the Google project there. And one of the things that came up in a, in a couple of meetings was, you know, they wanted, people wanted to make sure that we didn't or that they didn't um, exclude the, the needs and the opportunities of the local realm in an effort to bring in, you know, the big marquee accounts. And so I think that um, you have to look at that, uh, very, very carefully, and and again, you know, which technology each individual community is going to decide on is going to, you know, maybe different, uh, but you know, the question needs to be asked. Uh, looking at some of the other uh, responses, um, so after uh, increasing startups, there seemed to be a fairly high number of respondents that felt that uh, wireless would have um, some in some direct. Uh, impact on getting businesses to move into town and and helping uh, the local companies be more um, competitive. Uh, there's a fair number of folks who believe that the impact will be indirect. So, for example, if, um, if I have 44% uh, saying that uh, wireless is going to have a direct impact on increasing startups, there's another 15% that says, well, maybe it's, uh, it's going to be more indirect than um, than a direct uh, impact. Um, fiber, by and large, is the one technology, no surprise here, that everyone, no, I shouldn't say everyone, but more than the majority of people agree uh, this will have the greatest direct impact. Um, drawing new businesses into an area is the sort of the hands-down leading uh, response. Broad uh, fiber is going to have the greatest impact there. And I think that, again, based on uh, my conversations with other communities and, and, and one or two projects that I have worked on, if you are trying to convince a larger company in particular to set up operations in your community, their one of their big uh, concerns is the long-term uh, uh, effectiveness, uh, efficiency of the telecommunications network because their moving is a long-term investment. They're not going to want to move there and then a year later find out that the, the, the conditions absolutely are um, deplorable when it comes to telecommunication. They're going to want to know uh, what's the look for the long haul. And so Fiber, for better or for worse, is looked at as a 
uh, future-proof technology. And as a result, having fiber is going to matter more in those discussions with companies that are getting ready to move to an area. Getting businesses to stay is another um, is another factor. Though in general, when you start looking at uh, getting businesses to stay and improving the competitiveness of local companies and, and increasing startups, the numbers break down fairly evenly among those three uh, economic outcomes. It was interesting to look at the impact of cable on. Uh, these economic outcomes, because if you're, you know, following the news, you will always see uh, lots of commentary from uh, those in the cable industry that, you know, there is still miles of value to get out of the uh, the, the cable infrastructure, the copper infrastructure that's in the ground currently. The numbers from the survey respondents seem to indicate, though that the impact of, of cable is not that much better than wireless um, across all four, or I'm sorry, all five categories. And so what we can take from that uh, finding is that if you're in a position of building a wireless network, and by this I should probably say wireless more of the uh, 12 to to 20 megabit per second capacity type of networks that you get from point to multi-point fixed wireless uh, implementations. That kind of technology to them, to to a number of communities, is going to be um, a fair trade-off if their other option is is copper. It may cost them less, be faster to deploy, and and in the short term, uh, you know, the, the cost per benefit equation just seems to work in favor of uh, the wireless given that choice. The, um, the the primary question, after getting an idea of which of the three technologies has a direct or indirect impact on economic outcomes, is the speed question. And I think this is probably the most critical because as most of you are aware, the the government, uh, particularly the FCC, uh, with encouragement from a lot of incumbents, uh, is is heavily pushing uh, four megabits per second as an object as as a goal for for the next five to ten years. And I think that anyone who spends any time speaking with the people in the trenches will find out that um you know that that four meg down and one meg up is is pretty much a losing proposition for the long term uh now, having said that the assumption would probably be that well the you know gigabit is what everybody wants, and that that is going to be considered if you're looking at broadband over the next three years having an economic impact that, you know, it's a gig or more, but definitely not less if you want to achieve these outcomes. And what the survey showed is that actually it is uh, 100 to 120 megabits per second networks are the ones that seem to have um, the – there's a feeling that that speed uh, bar – will have a significant direct impact 
across all five of the outcomes, economic outcomes that the respondents were presented with. And um, and more in, uh, importantly, if you divide uh, or you, you parse out the numbers based on urban versus rural, uh, the rural folks, by and large, find the 100 to 120 megabit th per second threshold to be an adequate minimum for doing the kinds of things that they want to be able to do. Whereas the urban-based respondents very much were in favor of uh, one gigabit or 500 megabits per second, half a gig, if you will. And so I think what this stems from is people believe that um, if you have a, a sparser population, you have a lower uh, density, you have you know fewer people in general, that a network of this speed of the 100 megabit variety will be more than sufficient for a fairly long period of time because they don't have the kinds of congestion and 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 just sheer numbers of businesses and numbers of individuals you know so simultaneously trying to get on the network that folks in rural communities have and so as a result they may be able to uh do more with um, with a lower speed threshold. I think the other thing that, that should be considered is that um, at a certain point, once you've built a network for that capacity, the 100 megabit uh, threshold, um, it is mainly a job of taking out and swapping components in the infrastructure uh, to make that a gigabit network. So we're not talking about digging up the ground again and laying another set of cable and so forth and so on, we're talking about what is the equivalent of cosmetic changes uh, in order to uh, increase uh, your your capacity of the network. And so it's an easier leap. So you could, cons being conservative, can build the network for a less capacity and start offering uh, faster speeds later, which is actually the strategy that uh, a number of cities, Salisbury, North Carolina, for one, uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, for another, where they, they put down the fiber um, cabling, but they didn't necessarily max out the uh, the capacity on the front end, but rather decided to uh, keep it within what people needed or exceeding their needs by some you know margin, but then leaving themselves the option to increase the capacity as they go forward and the demand for more speed increases. So that's the uh that's the summary on the um on the speed issue. The um next question had to do with uh business model though not directly related to the technology question, it still has an influence because if you've decided that your community is going to need uh, a fiber network as opposed to a wireless network, then clearly you've got to figure out the business model that's going to make sense for that uh, community. Uh, we find that um, the majority of respondents believe that the non uh, that the private sector owning and operating the network is uh, preferable and i think this is consistent i know a lot of people have read my stuff and have heard me talk about 
you know, community ownership has uh, significant advantages. But I think that when you look at the, you know, how the, these discussions have evolved over the last 10 years, by and large, community's first step is to go to the existing incumbent. They're in the business. They provide service. Uh, why should we take on this added expense and aggravation? Uh, where where things fall down is when those uh, private sector companies cannot or refuse to get involved, then you have to start looking at alternatives. Um, Public-private partnerships, which are very popular and which Google has made incredibly popular, uh, interesting enough, is more uh, was more popular with the urban, I'm sorry, with the uh, rural respondents than with um, the urban respondents. And it's hard to gauge exactly just on the survey alone what the cause of that might uh, be, but it just could be in the um, urban areas, the, 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 the effort is a fairly large effort, and so as a result, perhaps people feel that entering into a pu- public-private partnership for a massive project like this isn't their first um wouldn't be their first option that they would probably rather the provider just take on that kind of responsibility and they the city and everyone else would be would be subscribers on the network uh in in rural communities i think there's just a mindset that is more inclined to want to be um you know have that private sector involvement but also have the community have some st- some skin in the game as well and uh, will this change in a year in terms of will more uh, urban areas go after public-private partnerships? I think Google, the Google uh, project kind of holds the um, answer. If this becomes, as is expected, to be a wildly successful project, then I think you will see uh, many larger um uh, town cities uh, become engaged in the uh in the public private partnership option one thing that uh did garner about 15 16% of uh support from respondents is having the community own the infrastructure and the providers delivering services across that uh platform and then in fact tomorrow uh I have on the show uh uh, Todd Mar- Marriott, who is the head of uh, Utopia in Utah, and that project is very much a uh, you know community nonprofit uh, entities own the um, infrastructure, and then they're getting service providers to come on board and provide the actual services to um, uh, constituents. I would generally say that as one or more of these models, business models, become popular and are shown to be successful, there will be a multiplier effect in the sense of other people jumping on the bandwagon because uh, that is the nature of how a lot of um, this broadband stuff has evolved, is that one or two cities become sort of the poster child for one approach or another, and then all of a sudden everybody, because communities and local governments talk to each other, then it just picks up and moves forward. Um the one area that uh may not get the same level of discussion that it pro- that it should is um broadband's impact on individual uh 
personal economic development? How do I help the individual become better able to increase their personal wealth, whether it's through um, being better at their job or becoming an entrepreneur or becoming part of an entrepreneurial venture? And so uh, this year and last, uh, have, we have I've asked several questions related uh, to this area. What was really interesting to me is how people respond to uh, the five options that they had, because we talked about um, reaching higher education levels, improving job skills and, and professional development. Um, transitioning to a new industry or a profession uh, or, or starting a home-based business. And then the fifth one uh, was finding a better job. And even though that is the first thing when you talk um, broadband and individuals, broadband and low-income individuals, broadband and underserved individuals, whether they are seniors, uh, what have you, it always comes down to, well, they can find a job. And I think strategies are starting to unfold that says let's get a bunch of people online so that they're able to go hunt for a job, and that is how we are going to help them economically. And my, and, and so what the, the survey shows is only 5% of the people surveyed feel that um, finding a better job is how broadband is going to help individuals the most. And not that it will have, you know, Zero effect. I mean, you got to look for a job, and yes, you can apply for you know even a job flipping burgers without going online. But I think that if you're a um, you know the decision maker on public policy, if you're a decision maker on economic development strategies, what you are looking to do, or what the respondents are saying you should be looking to do, is first and foremost improving job skills and professional development. How can we, as a community, in partnership with uh, any any number of outside entities, create programs for which when people get online, they can find uh, ways to improve their skills, to improve their professional development, whether it's uh, the simple thing of, you know, you, you, you sign people on and you point them toward uh, social networks such as LinkedIn and Twitter and give them a sort of a cheat sheet on how to use those uh, to, to help themselves uh, stay connected and do professional networking to full-on programs where people are given skills for working and functioning and advancing in a digital economy. And so even though it is not a traditional role of government and it may be, some people may view this as overreach, I think the reality is, you know, if all we plan to do is give people access and expect that by default their economic status will change, uh, we are going to be very disappointed in two to three years. Uh, I think the uh, the ability to start new businesses is highly uh, um, is very much hidden from the the discourse, and I think that uh, I look at communities, for example, Chattanooga and all of their efforts at um, facilitating home-based, uh, garage-based businesses and startups uh, is phenomenal. Looking at uh, Pulaski, Tennessee, um, Pulaski uh, is a county in Tennessee, where you know, one of their uh, economic development mandates is economic gardening. How do we provide programs 
that not only put people online but help them run their little small their their home based business more effectively and uh, and become able to play on a on a global uh stage so that is the really the heart of what comes out of the three questions that relate to um how do you impact um individual economic development um and it's interesting there are a fairly uh, number one high number of people for like beyond uh 50% who felt that this is a logical way to go um using using broadband to harness home-based businesses into an economic force it is um also interesting that um 20 over 20% of folks have seen firsthand that these programs work so there's a level of belief based on personal experience that I think others should look at to say, hey, well, if they're doing it over in this county, in this city, in this town, then we need to um, uh, seriously consider following that same path. And I think that, um, you know, and there's a number of folks that will also say that, you know, in order to do this and make it effective, there has to be supporting uh, programs to make it all work. Uh, when we look at the whole, um, what's the minimum amount of broadband needed to be able to help individuals improve their their personal economic development, uh, there is a um, significant percentage, about 25% of feel, you know, 25 to 50 megabit networks are sufficient for that task, and another 24, 25% of feel 100 megabit networks are are uh, effective for that. Um, there's clearly very few people that see, the, again, the four megabit networks as having any kind of meaningful impact on uh, personal economic development, and even at the 10 to 12 megabit level, which is, you know, when you sort of wade through a lot of the promotions about LTE networks and why you know people are all excited about those, they may not deliver much beyond the 12, the 12, 15 megabit per second speed capacity, um, that's going to be helpful, but, you know, the majority is leaning toward definitely a little more speed than than less speed in this area. Um, There were some policy-related questions just to get a handle on how people feel about, uh, you know, is the service adequate in their area? Because if you listen to industry speak, you know, broadband is is everywhere almost, but close enough, and the people that have it are happy with it and and, and on and on like that. Whereas when you really look at it, um, I think there's still a lot of dissatisfaction. More importantly, when you look at broadband in the context of can it help impact economic development, there is where you see, um, you know, 35, 33% of folks saying, you know, it may be okay for now, but we're going to need faster broadband uh, sooner. We have 40% just saying flat out that there's not enough availability or speed or quality of service to meet the economic goals. And these are just five that are just laid out in this one particular survey. Um, and uh, you know, granted, it's a small number, seven seven percent, but seven percent feel like there's there's never going to be enough broadband, so at least not to meet these particular needs. So I think that the battle is far from over, and that the quest to get better broadband really isn't going to stop, or should not stop anytime soon. 
the area of competition is also another sore spot. I mean, if you talk to uh, quite a number of people who are in the trenches, you know, they will tell you that their area is not competitive. There may be one, there may be two dominant players, uh, which the industry will gladly point out that, yes, you have those and you have a bunch of smaller uh, competitors, but, you know, is it really competitive? Is there really enough competitive pressure to get the price down and the speed uh, and performance up to the point that you can really impact economic development? And uh, for the most part, um, and, and, and rural show comes in showing uh, you know, a, a more a bleaker picture than rural areas. You know, there's a lot of work left to be done in that area. On the question of should states allow local governments to select uh, the broadband solution that meets their needs, this is pretty much overwhelmingly uh, all those surveyed believe that uh, that local communities should be the ones in charge of their broadband future. And, uh, you know, at the very least, at the very least, uh, at least be able to have an ownership stake in a public-private partnership. And if you look at some of the 18 states that have laws in the books prohibiting or limiting municipal networks, uh, it, it, those, some of those restrictions go as far as to eliminate the possibility of even entering into a partnership with the private sector. Uh, not Not very popular, not very popular. The Lifeline program was a question thrown in to, to gauge people's response on what has typically been a program of providing $10 subsidies for individuals to be able to get um, uh, telephone service, which is how you actually have phone services in a lot of places where there definitely wasn't going to be service before. Uh, now the FCC wants to change that so that the Lifeline program also promotes broadband adoption. And so uh, one of the questions gave uh, respondents three options, right? So your one option is you, you continue with the, the $10 subsidy and just give people an option of, you know, do they want to get broadband, do they want to get telephone service? Um Another option was to pool the money from uh, eligible recipients and then seek the best uh, solution for the pooled amount of money. And then a third one, which some might be consider a radical idea, but to tie payments or, or the pool's uh, you know, participation uh, into programs that improve recipients' economic status. So instead of just saying, okay, here you get $10 subsidy a month to get broadband, uh, which can go on ad infinitum, or do you structure a program that says, you know, you become part of the, you know, the the $10 broadband program, but you have to show that you are making strides toward um, a better economic status in order for these subsidies to continue. And the 40%, so basically the majority of uh, uh, respondents felt that uh, tying the payments to, to, to recipients improving their economic status was definitely a preferable way to go. And 27, oh no, wait, um, the, the next more, uh, the second place option was uh, to continue to give people an option uh, or to give people the option of, you know, $10 for telephone or $10 for broadband. And then <clears throat> looking at another aspect of universal service fund reform, 
one of the probably little-known facts uh, about the uh, USF, Universal Service Fund, how it operates is that we all as taxpayers pay into that fund. The fund now represents some uh, $4 billion plus a year. And currently, uh, two companies, AT&T and Verizon, get the lion, we'll call it the lion's share, like something over $2 uh, $2 billion of that amount. Uh, They receive subsidies to help further the advancement of telecommunications in rural and hard-to-reach areas. Um, So the question posed to this year's survey respondents was, uh, to get the greatest impact, you know, do we continue the process that, in essence, rewards a couple of large incumbents? Um, do we restructure it so that it mainly favors local and regional providers, <clears throat> or do we give uh, local communities a direct role in pri- prioritizing and approving how those funds are used? And uh, maybe not surprisingly, to, to, surprising for most folks, um, 23% of respondents basically lean for the option of giving local communities more of an influence, if not direct control, over where that money goes. And if you think about it, there's logic there. If, if the communities are putting money into it um, and the communities are the ones whose broadband needs the, the, the fund is going to try to address, then doesn't it make sense to have those communities be directly uh, responsible for some aspect of the decision-making of who gets that money and what that money is spent for? And then 33% said, uh, you know, mainly focus on uh, local and regional uh, providers. Uh, Just so you know, 4% said give it to the incumbents. Um, So that's the basic rundown of the the survey results. The actual, the final report itself will be available at my um, blog site, Fighting the Next Good Fight, and uh, you should check it out, um, go through some of the details. What will really be interesting is not just the um, the survey responses in terms of uh, the, the various questions that are asked and so forth, but people's open-ended comments about how economic development professionals can maximize the use of broadband uh, for economic development purposes. And I think about 170 people gave some sort of comment, some sort of detailed comment on that question. So I think that reading those or, uh, those responses <clears throat> is probably going to be a very uh, educational experience for all of us that are involved in this broadband um, process. So that pretty much wraps up my show. I want to um, thank you for listening. I also want to thank um, IEDC and uh, as a primary uh, supporter of this um, this survey effort over the last several years, and I'm looking forward to, to doing this again next year as we continue to monitor how uh, the progress of broadband goes and how it continues to impact uh, economic development. And then also um, California State University at Chico, their economic development uh, uh, group, for all of their support for this and other projects that have been related to my gathering useful information about broadband and economic development. So thank you all. Have a great day.
talk to you again. Uh, check in tomorrow when our guest will be uh, Todd Marriott, uh, who's from the Utopia Project in Utah. That's a great turnaround story and a great lesson in how to uh, to, to form effective partnerships and creative ideas to get broadband in those places where it needs to be. Talk to you soon. Thank you. <laughs>